Welcome everybody to another one of our weekly Bible studies. Uh, we had a break last week because of Holy Week, but um, today we get back into looking at a passage from the scriptures and trying to just digest that, turning it around a little bit, having a look at it from different perspectives and different angles, and hopefully learning something more about the sacred scriptures. Before we get into that, let's just pause for a moment as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you again for a moment where we can draw aside from the busyness of our lives and we can read your word. We pray, Lord God, that these scriptures that we share in today would not only be life-giving, but also, Lord, would help us in our journey with you. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is um, a lot of truth in the fact that the world in which we live in seems to enjoy bad news more than it does good news. I came across this quote from one of the common lecturers. It says this, In a world where conflict makes the news more readily than peace and harmony, and where governments can foster fear among electors for their self-interest, Psalm 133 sounds quite a different note. And I like that introduction to Psalm 133 because, in truth, this psalm is only three verses long, but it speaks a different note, a a different sound in a world that loves conflict and seems to be drawn to bad news. So I'm going to read it for us um, from the New Living Translation. Like always, if you have your Bible handy, open it up and, and read with me. So I read uh, Psalm 133. It is called a song for the ascent to Jerusalem. And um, this psalm is accredited to David. And also, like I've just said, it's part of the, the Psalms of Ascent, that when the people were on their way up to the temple in Jerusalem, they would sing a number of psalms, and this being one of them. So let us read together. How wonderful it is, how pleasant, when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the fragrant anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion, and the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life forevermore. So obviously these words that we've just read were uh, sung as the people of Israel went up to worship, and um, today as we just look at these three verses, um, there's quite a lot of depth to them. Um, the first time I read through them, I kind of thought, well, it's only three verses, it can't be that uh, that long or that deep, but there's actually a lot of things in here that I think would, we would find helpful and interesting today. So the first thing to note is that the psalm is probably written uh, many, many years before Jesus was born, uh, more than likely around about the post-exile period. So at this particular point, remember that um, the people of Israel were divided up into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both had their own centers of uh, government and politics as well as their center of worship. So, so this psalm would have had the intention uh, later on, but as well as even at that time, of bringing the people who worshipped Yahweh, bringing them together. Despite what had happened with the northern and the southern kingdom um, being divided, there was this great longing and a sense of, of praying for harmony. So even in that opening verse where it says how wonderful it is, how pleasant when brothers live together in harmony, 
it's one gets the un, understanding or even the the feeling that this thing that is so pleasant, in other words, harmony, is also something that if it's not in existence, if one doesn't see it, if there's disharmony and discord and disunity, that that is equally unpleasant. And so when um, the author of the psalm, as I say, we credit it to David, speaks about harmony, that is the word that echoes throughout this thing, uh, out this, this psalm. Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 3 in the New Living Translation use the word harmony. And so he starts off by saying, you know, how amazing it is, how wonderful, how pleasant when people live together in harmony. Now, if you're listening to this today and you've ever been in a place in your life where everything seems peaceful and harmonious, and then you go through a time where everything seems topsy-turvy and there's disunity or there's fractions in relationships and so on, then you will be able to echo these words and say, my goodness, I know what it's like and how wonderful it is and, and how pleasant when everything is actually united and, and there's a sense of harmony. So yes, we echo, echo those words of verse 1. Then when verse 2, it says, For harmony is as precious as the fragrant anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's beard. Now, you may find this interesting that although the northern and the southern kingdoms had their own centers, um, like I say, of, of worship and their own sanctuaries, it was the northern kingdom that wasn't recognized as legitimate by the priests in the southern kingdom, because in the southern kingdom, that's where Jerusalem was. Although both of the north and the southern kingdoms claimed Aaron as their ancestor. And remember, Aaron was uh, anointed uh, by Moses as the first high priest of Israel. And you have to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 29 to see that. And then all other priests um, came from the line of Aaron. And um, when they were dedicated to the service of God, if you go and have a look at Exodus 29, you will see that there was this, um, this moment where fragrant anointing oil was poured over the head of the high priest, and that time over Aaron's head. And it wasn't just a little, a little drop, it was poured out um, liberally. And it was just this moment of grace, if you like, where the anointing oil came over his head and then ran down his beard, like a, the, the, big, the big beard that you can picture, and then even onto the border of his robe. So um, I suppose this sense of harmony that the psalmist is trying to, to bring to mind is saying that because it's not always present, it's, it's precious when it happens. Um, just like for the priests when they're anointed, um, it's this precious moment, this, this moment that doesn't happen all the time. And I think part of the reason we understand as to why he uses this imagery is, is, is because of Aaron being the common ancestor between both the northern and the southern kingdom. So that's maybe something just to, just to reflect on today. Because sometimes we wonder and say, you know, why does he only speak about Aaron here? What about the other priests? And so on. But there's that understanding of both the northern and the southern kingdom seeing him as their common uh, priestly ancestor. Okay, then we come to verse 3, which says, Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. Now, I'm going to stop there. I think just reading that offhand, we would get that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense for us. Dew, um, 
no matter which country you're living in, I think we all have seen you, felt you, seen it, and um, we understand what it is. And Mount Hermon being the, um, the highest mountain in that part of the world, uh, many people see and, and understand that Mount Hermon is the source of the Jordan River. So all of Israel draws its water for irrigation and public use from the, the, the Mount of Hermon. So whether it's snow that um, lands on Mount Hermon and then melts, or whether it's rain or dew, whatever, Mount Hermon is seen as the source of, um, of that refreshing water that, that everyone needs to live. But what is interesting is that it says harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon. But then it carries on to say that falls on the mountains of Zion. Now, we may not uh, join the dots here immediately because sometimes we don't have a good picture in our minds of the geography of Israel and Palestine and the northern and southern kingdoms. But just a very quick search or a quick look on the map will show us that the distance between Mount Hermon and Mount Zion is over 400 kilometers by road. So it's, it's almost as if we could say, just putting into the South African context, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from, let's say, Mount Injasuti or the Cathedral Peak region in the Drakensberg that falls on the mountains of the Western Cape. Now, obviously, the distance between them is, is greater than 400 kilometers. But if we were hearing that, if I was telling you that today, immediately you would think to yourself, no, that doesn't sound right. That, that it's too far apart. But the, the idea of this is that because Mount Hermon is the source of the Jordan River, the idea is that the dew that does land on Mount Hermon is so um, plentiful and so refreshing that it is able to travel all the way down and able to even refresh the, the, the regions around Mount Zion that maybe we don't get as much rain. The other thing too is to remember that Mount Hermon would be in the northern kingdom and Mount Zion would be in the southern kingdom. And so when there's harmony, when the people of God come together, there is the sense of fruitfulness, productivity, and that people come together in a united way. Um, and, and it's in that moment that the Lord then pronounces his blessing and even everlasting life. You, you know, one always knows this in the back of your mind, but we must hear it in the context of what was happening in, in these days, is that if your kingdoms were divided, then they were certainly going to fall. They were going to be at greater risk from outside forces and enemies. And so maybe the psalm is also a great plea and a great prayer for harmony to say, you know what, if we come together as one, we will be stronger. We, we as a united people of Israel, we will be a lot stronger than if we were divided. And so, yes, the, the, the resources and the refreshing water and dew from Mount Hermon would be able to fall or to satisfy the thirst of the people living around the mountains of Zion. So... Just remember that Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Palestine, is located up northeast of the Sea of Galilee, but impacts upon the whole of that region, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So if we have a look at this and then try and bring it into our context today, 
Um, I must take us to John chapter 17 before we even look at, at present context, because in John 17, Jesus, just before he is crucified, he prays for unity in the church. Now, we haven't got time today for these purposes to read the whole of John 17, but this is a, a prayer that in the first part of John 17, Jesus prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for the future believers. Now, um, I'm going to just pick up a few, uh, a few verses here so you can see what, I, what I'm meaning. Um, let, me, let me come to verse 11, John 17. Jesus says, Now I am departing this world. I am leaving them behind and coming to you. Holy Father, keep them and care for them, all those that you have given me, so that they will be united just as we are. Okay? Then he carries on. You can carry on reading through that yourself. Um, I want to then come to verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them, this is verse 21, is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me, and I am in you, so that they will be in us, and the world will believe that you sent me. So this whole prayer, John 17, is about unity and harmony. Now, sadly, when we look at uh, Psalm 133, that sense of harmony and unity doesn't last long. The people come together, but then they separated. Um, Jesus' prayer himself in John 17, the disciples, they come together, but then the church separates. And this seems to be the history of humanity. And uh, without going into too much more detail on this, I think we must realize that that's the one thing that sin does. Sin divides. So even in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sin, it pulls them apart from God. There's disunity. There's a lack of harmony. And so throughout, uh, until Christ comes again, we as the people of God will constantly live with this desire for harmony and we'll have moments of harmony and peace. But sadly, I think because of the sin in us, there will then be these disruptions and disunity and disharmony. However, it's not an excuse for us not to desire harmony and to live together as one. And I think this is the one challenge that we as a church, and I speak about the church globally, have to keep wrestling with. Because up until the 15th century, we still all saw ourselves as one church. We called ourselves the universal or the Catholic church. And then after that, the Reformation, which brought a lot of good things in, but it kind of opened the door for more and more churches just to spring from disunity or disagreements. And uh, I mean, you'd have to check the number now, but the last time I came across a figure, there's something in the region of 10,000 different denominations around the world, which really, yes, we could argue that the gospel is being preached through all those different places, but there's a lack of unity in the way that we, we deal with the Christian faith. Raymond Brown, who is um, a New Testament scholar, says this, that there is a difference between unity and uniformity. Dwelling together in unity does not mean that we are rubber stamped into a similar form. The church is not to be involved in a cookie cutter Christianity. Christian unity is not brought about by a mechanical restriction and regulation. Christian unity is a heart union of believers, ready to work together for the purpose of glorifying God 
and furthering the work of his kingdom. And that for me remains the challenge for us in the Christian church today. Because no matter where you are um, in the world, you'll find that churches cannot get along. Um, yes, there are some churches that have come together as part of a church unity commission, and we, we kind of agree to disagree on various things. But the, the biggest challenge for any kind of Christian movement would be to say, okay, well, let's have some combined church event. And then you would have to see everyone arguing and disagreeing and what's the worship going to be like and who's going to preach the word and all these kind of things come in. It's actually quite sad in some ways. Um, so this call for unity and harmony in Psalm 133 is also a call for us in the church. Now we've just come out of Easter where Christ is raised from the dead and Christ gives the disciples now in these post-resurrection experiences, he gives them the gift of the Holy Spirit that unites us and gives us the power to go out and to, to make disciples. And so this is something as a church we should keep focusing on, is that in harmony and in unity, it doesn't mean we always have to all agree on things, but that our purpose and our desire to glorify God should be the thing that unites us. Just one more comment before I read uh, a little piece of poem or poetry that is a reflection on Psalm 133. It's also interesting that when there's disunity in a church or in a family or in a school or anywhere, don't you find it so uh, energy sapping? Like that tension that crops up just seems to drain us of all other kind of good energy. And I wonder in some ways if that's not part of the enemy's scheme is that he doesn't have to get us to believe in him. All he has to do is to create enough conflict for us to pour all our time and energy and trying to sort out the tension and the disunity that we don't have time and energy to share the good news and the gospel. And so I want to echo those words from the Psalmist 133 as well as Jesus's words that we should all seek to be one as Jesus has called us to be one. So as I close today, I want to read to you, this is from a lady called Sylvia Perdue, and it's her reflection, her words, if you like, on Psalm 133. It's a, it's a modern paraphrase, and I like it. So let me read it for us, and then we can finish our Bible study. It is good. It is great. It is wonderful when friends and family are friends and family. It's good. It's great. It's wonderful when people get on well and everyone belongs. Living in unity, enjoying each person, sharing common ground. This is God's precious gift, like sweet rain after a hot day, like laughter bubbling up, like coming home. God's life is life together. God's blessing is love, now and forever. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for your call for the church to be united in John 17 and the words that have come down from the words of the psalmist, that it is pleasant, it is beautiful, it is wonderful when we can live together in harmony. And so we pray for our church communities, Lord, that there would be a greater desire to work together, as well as within our own local churches, that we would seek unity and seek the gifts of the Spirit as we share the good news that our Lord and our Savior is not dead, but He has risen from the grave. So would you bless us, Lord, and may you keep us safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. 
And if you enjoy this, please pass it on to somebody else who may enjoy it. God bless you, and we'll chat again soon. Amen.